So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me. My life to declare your promise, my soul now stands. And you stood before my failure, you carried the cross for my shame, my sin
outside in a minute. I want to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. I'll be inside in a minute. I want to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys should get back from church. Ah, yeah, yeah. I just been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go. But this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward. And I'm so hungry. Ugh. I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh, maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You want to come over sure, for a Sure, I'd love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what? No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? Did you say? You said something about God. God, God. Goo. 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 Goulash. Goulash? Goulash. It's a... You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having... You're inviting me over for goulash? Yeah. At your... Goulash. Yeah, who doesn't like goulash? I like some goulash. Yeah, sign me up. Goulash. I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. in a minute. I want to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. All right. There we go. That's, of course, the skit guys. They're fantastic. <laughs> well, we're going to bring the guys down front and uh, we're going to do our offering here before we jump in. Yeah, we love offering because you know what? All I am is yours. All I have is yours. You got to remember that, that everything we have, including every breath we take, comes from God. So we should uh, have no problem gifting that back. Lord, we thank you so much for all the many gifts that you give us every single day, including the gift of life um, and the gift of material things, Lord. And we, we know that we give all fruits, first fruits to you. We ask that you help us give cheerfully and that when the money is received that there were good stewards of that money in jesus name we pray amen very cool hey richard did you mind changing that light so before me a little bit appreciate that oh and let there be jamie christmas well you know this is our we the church series as you can see and I didn't want to bury the lead. So right up front, I want to tell you that our uh, scripture is going to come today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to eke over a little bit into chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles or your smartphones with you today with the Bible on them, it's in the uh, bulletin. So you can read along there as well. But uh, uh, And as that clip showed, um, one of our if not our primary job as Christians is to be ambassadors for Christ. And this morning, I want to speak to you about this very important subject for those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ and those of us who are desiring or at the front end of our, our journey with Christ. 
I want to talk to you about that a little bit because there's just there's this misconception then our world that uh, that being a follower of Jesus, that being a Christian is is somehow some sort of big self help help program. You know, it's like uh, how can I improve my marriage or uh, how can I battle depression or uh, how can I lose weight or any one of those things that Oprah Winfrey could tell you or 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 that you could get from uh, Tony Robbins or God forbid Richard Simmons. Uh, oh, he's good on the weight loss pro. I wouldn't take any more life tips, especially how to buy shorts for a man. That's probably don't want to take tips from him. Yeah, this woo he hasn't changed those shorts in 30 years. I'll tell you what. Oh, man, that's not a good thought. Uh, uh, and you know, if you become a Christian, yeah, your life will get better. I guarantee that. I mean, you will have. Uh, Jesus is the answer for everything. He really is for depression, uh, for weight loss, for all these things. Jesus can help you with these things. But what I want to suggest is that there's much more to it than that. Um, he's not only there to change your life, he's there to challenge you in a way that you have never been challenged before. He's there to put out the biggest challenge that man has ever known. And because there's, but most of us, there's so many of us who have this misunderstanding of, uh, of being a Christian that's not only a self-help program, but being a Christian is about just being here on Sunday. You know, getting up early, 50 below, in the winter, putting on our itchy church clothes, starting the car, you know, wrangling the kids who don't want to get up, getting them in here and bringing them into church. And we think that this hour that we spend together here in church, even if you like coming here, and I hope that most of you do enjoy being at church, even when you finally get here and you get to be in congregation, that is important. But being a Christian is much bigger than that. Jesus can't be boxed into this room. Jesus just isn't a self-help program. And there's a ton of ideas what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But today I'm going to talk about what I think is really the most important one. And, uh, and what we're going to find out is that instead of looking inward about what Jesus can do for us, we need to pay attention to what the two things that Jesus said, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, loving your neighbor as yourself, and then going out and sharing the gospel with your neighbors with the unevangelized of the world. So instead of being inward-looking in our Christianity, today we're hopefully going to be outward-looking. What is the outward workings of our life in Jesus Christ? And if you want to find out what it means to be an essence of Jesus Christ, uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, of course, we go to the Scriptures. And today we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth as he describes for them what it means to be a follower. Um, and after we gain a good understanding of this, we're going to look at this scripture for a little bit. Then we'll look to see how this uh, understanding can change and shape each one of our lives. But let's read the scripture first. And I think the version I have here is a little bit di- different than the one you guys have just in terms of uh, the, the translation. But it's, it's pretty close. So whatever we do, it's because Christ's love constrains us, controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone... We also believe that we all have died to an old life we used to live. He died for everyone that, so that those who receive this new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks of them. Once I mistakenly thought about Christ that way, as he were just a, a human being and how differently I think about him now. 
What this means is those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore for their old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us, us, the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. This is a wonderful message that he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. And God is using us to speak to you. And we urge you, we urge you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be offering for our sins so that you could be made right with God through Christ. And as God's partners, we beg you not to reject this marvelous message of God's great kindness. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, God is ready to help you right now. Today is the day of salvation. This is an amazing section of Paul's and of God's word. And Paul is, is, is often, he, he does this. He will take a few verses like this and just unpack the entire Christian message. Not only what Christ did for us and God's whole sovereign plan of seeing before and after into the future and how he, he knew that we were going to sin if given free will and that in order to be reconciled, he would have to become man and die for us, become sin for us so that we could be reconciled with him. And then he tells us, of course, the biggest part of this is don't keep it to yourself. You have to share this great message. Our decision to become a follower of Jesus set us on a new path, you see, because the, the, the presence of Christ comforts us. It gives us meaning. <clears throat> it gives us peace. We believe in Christ. We accept him. We confess him as our Lord and Savior. And then we are ready now to enter in to the service of reconciling others to the Father through Christ. It is a comfort. It is comforting to know that Christ will go with us. Lo, I am with you. But for most of us, reconciling, this whole reconciling thing, which is really just a fancy way, I should probably tell you this, reconciling yourself to God, in case you don't know, this is a kind of a Bible speak for it. All it really means is uh, when you go out and talk about Jesus, what you're trying to do is get them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so that they can be reconciled to God, so they can come before God as new creatures, to to have uh, eternity um, in their future uh, with God in heaven. That's what you're trying to do when you reconcile. But we, we, we don't like doing it. We don't like sharing the gospel. It's, 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 it's scary. It's frightening. It's it's goulash. It always comes out wrong. We don't know what to say. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody about this. We, we look for the opportunity sometime, but for the most time, we don't. We wait for somebody to start a conversation with us. You know, I, I, I often hope that when somebody asks me on an airplane, what do you do for a living? I'm a preacher. They'll ask me, well, I want to know about God. And, and usually when I tell my preacher, they put their headphones on and turn away. They're like, okay. But we shouldn't be afraid of sharing the gospel because think about what we're sharing. Think about what we're talking about. It, <laughs> you know, if, 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 if a new company came to Fairbanks, an awesome company, let's pretend there's a new company in town and they're hiring and you get a job there and it's the best job you've ever had. The people you hang out with at work are amazing. 
They care about each other. Your boss is fantastic. He cares about you. They give you good benefits at this place. The pay is awesome. You love going to work every single day. They have daycare for your kids. And guess what they tell you? Hey, we're hiring. Tell all your friends and family about it. We want them to come and work here. And you go to your friends and you're like, you run to them. You're like, I know you got a job already, but man, you should quit that. Because guess what? There is an amazing opportunity for you over at this company. They make a great product. They care about the world. Everybody you work with is, is, is striving towards a common goal. People would do it. They would drop it in a minute. And that's a job. And guess what? That job doesn't exist, for one thing. And yet the gospel does exist. This is a much better story because it's true. It's something you can offer people right now. This is the good news. Be comforted in the fact that Christ is going to be there if you ask Him. If you say, give me opportunities, God, to share your gospel with people. And then equip me. Equip me to answer questions. Tell me what I need to do to study. And then give me the right words. Give me the right moment. The purpose of life, the purpose of Christ constrains us, controls us, is another word of saying it. His purpose is to save the lost people of the earth, full stop. And if we love him, we're going to have that same desire. His love and his purpose constrains us. Whatever we do is because Christ's love controls us. Everything that Paul did was based on what Jesus wanted in his life. Every decision that he, he made, every word that he spoke before he went off on his journeys, he says, Christ, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to preach the gospel? Show me every single decision. He was completely sold out to the love of Christ and to his mission. And everything else took care of itself. It does. It's amazing how that works. When you concentrate on cross, life goes around, you're able to make decisions. Things happen. Your mortgage gets paid. You go to work in the morning. You don't forget to eat. Amazingly enough, all these things take care of themselves when you're continuing to concentrate on the cross. But the, the fact of the matter is that you'll find out they work a lot better. Now, this word that, that Paul uses to control, constrain, constrain, it's only used a couple of times in the Bible. And it's, 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 it's sonische or something like that. It's Greek. And it means to surround, to hem in, uh, to control, to rule. In Acts uh, chapter 18, 5, Luke says, and uses another version of this word in, 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 in verse 5, he says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Here the word means to be occupied, to be completely absorbed, to be seized upon. And I'm sure you get the idea that Paul was pretty much sold out to the whole vision of Jesus. He allowed him the full control over his life. Number three, the program of Christ challenges us. If that's not a challenge already for people right there, just think about that. Giving control of your life to somebody else. We don't want to do that, all right? We do not want to do that. But the program of Christ extends the full salvation of all people, of all nations, of all the earth. It is the largest task known to men and is greatest for the most ambitious. So if that, the giving over of your life to Christ wasn't enough of a challenge, look at the challenge ahead of us. A couple of billion people on this earth 
have no idea who Jesus is. I don't care how ambitious you are. You are never going to reach this goal by yourself. So you better enlist the help of people. But it's like that old saying, guys. Don't be, don't be, I mean, you can be kind of freaked out about this. Oh, three billion people. We're never going to evangelize that many people. Well, a couple of things. First, the old saying is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And the amazing thing is, with the technology we have today, wow. Everybody's got the internet, okay? You, you've got a guy who, who's, Entire wardrobe consists of three feathers and a loincloth, and yet he's got a MacBook Pro with cable internet at his teepee or whatever. All right? He's out there like dodging tigers, you know, trying to grab some food for his family. And he comes back to his village, and he can log into Google and find out about, about the message. And all you have to do is be there to hopefully supply it when he asks you for a Facebook connection. You say, yeah, I'll be your friend on Facebook. And then you have an opportunity right there to preach the gospel. Three billion people in the world, but we're all connected now. We can do this, but you need to just start at home. Start at home. Go for the easy hanging fruit. This summer when we're all busy and out doing things, people have, a, have extra time on their hands. Just ask somebody who you know will come to church. Come to church with me. Hey, have you ever been to my church? You should check it out. Ask people who are already Christians but just haven't found a church. This is easy stuff. You're not going to have to go and, you know, I said about, about 5% of the people out there, the unevangelized in America, about 5%, maybe a little bit more that I found out from this book that Dave Chester gave me are antagonistic towards only 5%. I will say of those 5%, they all seem to be my friends on Facebook, but, <laughs> you know, God has equipped me in a certain way that he says, Brian, you're going to have to deal with all the really annoying people in the world. These are the people I'm equipping you to help. But for most of us, listen, here's this, here, they did this huge survey to find out about what it was like in America to try and share with the unchurched. And so they did this survey of unchurched people. And do you know that 82% of the people who were unchurched who responded in this survey, 82%, 8 out of 10, said they would go to church if somebody would just invite them. You don't have to convince them that the Bible is says what means what it says. You don't have to convince them that Jesus Christ actually raised from the dead. Just nobody had ever done it before and this was kind of new. You don't have to do that. You see, most of that work has already been done by the Holy Spirit. They're just waiting for an invitation. And that's all you got to do. Yes, we have a lot of people to evangelize, but we can do this. And for those of you who are sitting out there right now that aren't Christians yet, that are afraid to give over your life, your control of your life to somebody else, even though He is the creator of the entire universe and He has things figured out, you just don't want to do it. Let me ask you a simple question. You've been making your own decisions this entire time. How much peace has that brought you? How much contentment do you have in your life? Do you continue to look for things to fill up that hole that never seems to get filled up with the things of this world? How's that working out for you? 
The problem is that so much, uh, so many of us, even those of us who are already Christians, are always looking inside. And we're asking about what's me, what's for me, what's in it for me, what's mine, how am I going to take care of my family? And we're not accepting God's challenge for us, which is being sold out completely to him, giving our lives completely over to him and enlisting in his army to try and meet this challenge of evangelizing three billion people in the world. We need to stop thinking about ourselves. Those things will take care of themselves. God has promised that. Just like he was able to feed all those Jews, seven, eight hundred thousand Jews running around in the desert for 40 years, he was able to somehow feed every single one of them every single day. He can take care of you. He'll put food on your table. Trust me. If you're worried about, you know, giving during the offering, you're like, I don't have 20 bucks to spare. I understand things are tight for some people sometimes, but guess what? He'll take care of it. He will. Paul's focus is better understood by his own words. And then we go on to verse 15. Take a look at me. He said, Jesus, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for him. Paul had a really good grip on what it was that Jesus did for him. Do you have a really good grip on what Jesus has done for you? Think about it. You wouldn't be sitting here. If it weren't for him creating the universe, you wouldn't even be here right now. Every single breath you take is from him. Whether you are a Christian yet or not, it doesn't matter. The heathen on the street who has never heard about it doesn't realize it. But every breath, every step, every beat of his heart is because Jesus continues to support the universe into existence. And we need to understand that. And then, then you go and you think about, oh my gosh, not only that, not only did he create me and create the entire universe and have the forethought to, to see this all through and have this grand plan of salvation, he said, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to become a man and take on the sin of the entire world. That's how much I care about you. That's what I've done for you. What can you do for him? The person of Christ compels us. He stands by our side. He looks on when we do his will. He inspires us to do our best. He compels us to be like him, especially in how we see others. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks of them. All right. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way as though we were merely a human being. How differently I think about him now. You know, we have to start looking at other people through Christ's glasses. Because you understand, the drug addict matters to God. The prostitute, the stripper matters to God. The IRS agent matters to God. Even the preacher matters to God. Every person has innate worth. Every person is an ends of themselves. 
And that's why he allowed Jesus to die for us because we are all so important to him. We are all his sheep. He looks after us. He wants to go and find and bring back every single one of us. Of course he desires that everybody would be reconciled to him. That's what he wants. That's what our job is to help out. The problem is we value, you know, we value our opinions and our thoughts of other people more than we understand God's truth of how he sees them. We only hang out with those whom we deem more worthy of our friendship, you know. We'll go out of our way to help those we think will appreciate our expressions of love. We, uh, we, when we are calling the shots for our life, we make the decisions about people on how we feel about those around us. Those that I feel have value are those I am willing to care for and serve. Those I think are worthy of God's love are people that I can envision as good Christians and an asset to the kingdom of God. You know, I can't imagine God ever forgiving that person over there, so I'm not going to extend God's grace to them. I'm not going to tell them about the gospel. Oh, that person would be an embarrassment for God. That person, oh my gosh, have you seen the way that guy dresses? I can't invite him to church. Everybody's going to look at him and go, oh, why'd you bring that guy? Yeah, right, exactly. But we can't help ourselves. We're all prejudiced in some way or another. Some of us are prejudiced those who have more money than us. Or, or, or we see poor people, we're like, ew, they're dirty. We don't want to bring them to church. They don't dress a certain way. They don't talk a certain way. They're going to embarrass us. There are all kinds of things that lead us to looking down on other people. But the fact of the matter is that all people mean so much to God. You know, I have a lot of conversations, a lot of my friends, especially on Facebook, but a lot of my friends because of, uh, I spend a lot of time in the world, uh, the theatrical world. I have a lot of friends who are gay. And I have to spend, I've spent a lot of time obviously talking to them about this whole gay marriage thing. And what I prayed, I, what we're trying to do and what my, my fellow Christians have been trying to do as we talk to them and evangelize them is not to try and convince them. I mean, it's, it's so hard to convince them that we think this is the way it should be because God thinks it's the way it should be. And, but it's so easy to show them that we love them, that we love everybody because we are all got problems. But God loves us first and foremost. He sees us through the cross, through the blood on the cross. That's how he sees us. And because he sees us that way and tells us to see people that way, that's what we have to do. We have to show people we care about them and love them. And more than, more than ever, I think, because the world has a preconception of how we behave as Christians because of the bad actors among us, because of the Westboro Baptist people, that's the way they see all Christians. They think we hate them. We think that they think that we're going to thump them with the Bible when they walk through the door. They think we're going to stand and scream at them and yell them and tell them they're going to hell. But what they need to know is that we love them because Jesus Christ loves them. And that's what we're supposed to do. And what this means is that those who become Christians, guys, become new persons. They are not the same anymore for the old life is gone, a new life has begun. All the newness of this life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. The old is gone. For those of you who aren't Christians, what is the old in your life that you'd like to be freed from? What is, do you have a bad reputation? You know, and no matter what you do, you can't seem to shake it. 
You're a Colombian. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody knows you. It's a small town, but you don't want to be that person anymore. But everybody keeps reminding you of who you are. Nobody will let you forget. Well, guess what? God will let you forget. He washes that away. Maybe you have a failed marriage. There's a lot of us out there. Child born out of wedlock. Your guilt consumes you because you this whole marriage thing failed. God can cleanse you. Bring you this new life. There are so many things that plague us, every single one of us, but God can grant us peace through His Son. No person can do this. No psychologist, no preacher can do this. No counselor, no medical doctor. Nobody can bring us the peace, the contentment, and the new life that Jesus Christ can do. Nobody. And it's in this way the power of Christ completes us. All this from what God has done for you and me. He has sought us out when we were far, far from Him. He has given His Son to pay the debt that we owed and we could never pay. God has saved us, cleansed us, given us a new vision, a new direction, and a new love for the world because of His saving grace. Now let me share you God's commission to those of us who have already accepted. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We urge you, as though Christ himself were pleading with you, be reconciled to God. Listen to that. John Wesley talked about it. Listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to read you what John Wesley said. He's sitting there writing one day. I can just imagine he's reading this verse and he's just like, wow. What unparalleled condescension and divinely tender mercies are displayed in this verse. Did the judge ever beseech a condemned criminal to accept a pardon? Does the creditor ever beseech a ruined debtor to receive an acquittance in full? Yet our almighty Lord... And our eternal judge not only vouchsafes to offer these blessings, but invites us, entreats us, and with most tender importunity solicits us not to reject them. There's this amazing thing that he's done. It's a free gift. He's begging us to take it. Begging us not to spend an eternity in hell. I don't want you to go there. I want you to have the, the knowledge that you have eternal life right now. And I want to start changing your world and give you a new life today. This is free. You don't have to do anything. You couldn't do anything even if you wanted to. And I'm begging you to take it. That's what our God does. And God has given us the task of doing, carrying this message. Wow. It's an amazing message. It's a definition of what an ambassador is. It's a special person, not only just any person will do. An ambassador is a minister of the highest rank, employed by a prince or a state or a court or a country to manage the concerns of that state. He represents the dignity. He or she represents the dignity and power of this sovereign nation. He is sent to do what the sovereign would do himself were he present. 
They're sent out to make the known the will of the sovereign, to negotiate matters of commerce, of war, peace. An important person, an ambassador, sent to deliver a message, equipped in a certain way to deliver a certain message. And let me give you an example of how seriously that we take appointing ambassadors in this country. Sometimes, sometimes we don't, but in the past we have. William McKinley, President of the United States, had to make a decision about the appointment of an ambassador to a foreign country, and there were two candidates, two candidates equally qualified. So McKinley had to search his mind for some sort of yardstick that he could use to make his decision. Later, he revealed how he ended up doing it. He said that the unkindness of one of them had been the determining factor in his decision. You see, many years earlier, McKinley, was when he was still a congressman, he had observed this, this man. This man didn't even know. He obviously had no idea he was going to one day be president of the United States and have to make this decision. But he observed this guy sitting on a train. The train was packed. This old woman gets on carrying this big um, laundry basket full of clothes. And she comes on. There are no seats available. She walks to the back of the train and she stands right next to this guy. And the train is bustling and she's going back and forth. And what does this guy do? Does he get up? And offer his seat. No, he he does what my dog does. When my dog does something and he's in trouble, he pretends not to see me. Did you eat that loaf of bread? I can see you. You're right in front of me. You know that, right? No, you can't see me. And that's what this guy did. He he not only did not get up and offer his seat, he took out his newspaper. So he wouldn't have to look at her because he felt guilty, obviously. But you see, McKinley saw this guy do that. And so he went down, stood up off his seat, brought the woman back, sat her down. And later on, when he's sitting here some years later and deciding, he goes, I remember that. I remember what that guy did. And he was able to make his decision. An ambassador is is a special person An ambassador is always on duty. An ambassador to Christ like us. We are always going out into this world. People are looking at us. People are watching how we behave. They're they're listening to the words we speak. So it is in a way sort of frightening. But as I said earlier, if you will concentrate on serving Jesus, if you will concentrate on the cross, these things take care of themselves. If you say, Lord, send me out. I want to be an ambassador today. Give me the opportunities. Equip me. Protect me. Make sure that I'm upright, that I'm projecting the image that you would want me to project, that I'm using the words that you would want me to use. He'll take care of you. We're going to take communion here in a few minutes. But I'm going to call the band up. We love the band. I, I don't think they're here. I think they're gone. That's all right. But they're going to come up. And Paul saw himself as an ambassador at all times. He wasn't just an ambassador on Sunday morning when he went to church, all right? He wasn't just an ambassador when he felt like it. Paul was always acting as a representative of Jesus. Here's what he said. Pray for me, he wrote from prison, that utterance may be given me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, by the way, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak it. 
Here he is in chains. He's preaching the gospel to the guys who have him in chains. At all times, that's what we're supposed to do. You were called to be ambassadors for the cause of Christ at all times, all situations. And what is our message? That's a good question. We can talk about that in the future. How do we do this? How do we go about doing it? Well, we can use these words as a jumping off point. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. That's a wonderful message. This is our message. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, forgiving my sins. He forgave your sins. He makes you a new person. People all over the world are hungry to find something like that in their life. Three billion people. And yet we sit back in our church, our congregation. We leave here and this is it. This is our, this is our evangelism. Well, most of the people in this room have already been evangelized. There are some of you who haven't. And as we get ready to take communion this morning and you're waiting, you're hungry for that. Something in in, in this message today has touched you because the Holy Spirit has been speaking into your ears and into your hearts since the day you were born. He's been tugging at you. He's been offering you this free gift, this amazing gift, this amazing opportunity. Just try now. Just try now. If you're sitting in your seat right now and that's you, and you would like some prayer after we take communion, Come on down front. We'll have people down here to pray for you. If it's too scary, I understand sometimes it is. You can just sit there in your seat right now and you can say, Lord, I'm ready to accept you. I'm ready to accept this free gift of grace. Give me that new life. I want to start that new life right now. I'm going to ask you guys to all come down right now. Take some of the bread, the juice. Head back to your seats. Stay standing if you wouldn't mind. We'll all take communion standing together.
course, on the night before Christ was arrested. And on the night before that, they all sat in the upper room, Christ and the apostles, not really having any idea what was going to happen. Jesus did, of course, and he'd been talking about it, but they just just couldn't hear it. They had no idea. They couldn't fathom what was going to happen to the Messiah, though he would die in three in the next and within 24 hours he'd be dead. But he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it unto them, saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Take this in remembrance of me." Likewise, the cup after supper, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Do these things in remembrance of me, Lord. Those of us, the majority of us in here, have a good understanding, a deep understanding what you've done for us and hopefully Lord there are some people in here who now have a better understanding and are ready to under, to accept you as their Lord and Savior Lord but even those who aren't here who aren't ready to do that I ask that Lord that you, you fill us every single day with a new understanding of, of what the cross means help us to concentrate on that help us to put that as our guiding force and focus in our life Lord, ask us, remind us every day that we need opportunities to share the gospel. Bring people into our lives, Lord, who aren't already there. Help us search our lives. Remind us to pray every day for those opportunities to share the gospel, to invite somebody to church, to break bread, to live life as a Christian, to be a shining light in the world. We ask these things, as always, in your name. But offer this heart of 